help you do that with our Bible Buddy Adoption Day on February the 5th. All right, well, I told uh, the team, I said, man, I've got like two scriptures that are, this is so dangerous for a preacher, but two scriptures that have been going over in my brain, and we're going to go to John chapter 7 and John chapter 8, and to be honest with you, I told Thomas, I said, we're just going to call this Lessons from John 7 and 8, and uh, we're going to get back into big little books, and uh, you know, we'd we're into the minor prophets. Northern kingdom will hit the southern kingdom. And uh, that's going to be some great stuff coming up. But tonight we're going to finish up our January with lessons from John 7 and John 8. Let me say a prayer and we'll jump into it. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray that you'd anoint me, help me to speak. Give me wisdom, Father. Anoint this audience, this crowd to hear, Father. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. Well, we had a great day on Sunday. And I just want to reiterate something. I just want you to know, first of all, that Wednesday night, Thomas and Jason hit home runs last Wednesday night. Am I right? Didn't they do great? And they were themselves. You know, they were true to themselves. Uh, Thomas was all into history and, and just, just, it was just phenomenal. And Jason was into storytelling and had some stuff to say, and had the anchor theme and like, over this overall, just an, an amazing Wednesday night. I was so proud of these guys. Don't you love them? They did great. They did great. And so, this is what I was going to say. Uh, I just want to uh, flow in 2022 uh, in the spirit, not have just church as normal as usual, but be sensitive to the moving of the spirit. I mean, that is is something that's missing in modern church, and I feel like it is so needed more than ever before, and we have this kind of performance art mentality that the singers are doing a performance, and the preacher has to perform, and and we judge it, you know, six, eight, three, bomb, Donovan, you know, home run, like, we judge it, and we go home, and we tell others, man, you need to like our preacher, man. He, you know, he hit an eight this weekend, and, and that kind of thing. And that's, I get it, I get it, and I, I want to be prepared, and I want to preach what I feel like God's put on my heart, and I don't have to do it on the fly. I mean, God can talk to me ahead of time, you know what I mean, and I can have some notes. That's okay. But at the same time, I don't want our structure to confine the moving of the Spirit of the living God. The Spirit of God is supposed to be like a river flowing in the body of Christ. And not, not a little trickle and not a little stream, but a raging current. The Spirit moving, carving deep places out, getting rid of junk, carrying it away. That's how the Spirit of God is supposed to flow in the body of Christ. And I would say here at Bethesda Church. And so to confine the Holy Spirit into our little bubble and box is an affront to the Holy Spirit because there's a dynamite. A dy that's, I mean, you know, power in the Greek is dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite. And the Holy Spirit's compared to dynamite, this explosive, 
self-energizing power of the living God. And so we don't want to confine the Holy Spirit just into a Bible lecture or a performance of the preacher that, you know, putting on wrestling masks and stuff like that. It's ridiculous. Right? Oh, I did do that. I forgot. I mean, I have some illustrations sometimes. Uh, or just in great music. And our music's awesome. We have some awesome music. And so I'm just saying we need a move of the Spirit. Amen? And, and if, it, if, it, if it fills the house or empties the house, we need a moving of the Spirit. We just have to be committed to that. I was in a meeting, and I'll get to this. I was in a meeting with some pastors, and the question was, was asked, what's the most needed thing in the church today? And this legendary pastor in the world, in the United States especially, this legendary pastor said, we need to get deep in the Word. We need discipleship. Our, our people are biblically illiterate. And then later, the question was, how do you grow a crowd? And this same guy said, well, you can't get in the Bible because as soon as you start quoting Scripture or saying, let's turn here, they check out. And I'm like, so we have a conundrum, you know. It's a catch-22. We have a problem. The most needed thing is for the church to get back to the Bible. And the problem is when we go to the Bible, the church checks out. And so what I'm saying is that we need to get deep in the Word, yes, but it doesn't need to just be a lecture. There needs to be a flow of the Spirit, which means there's revelation. It's not just historical data. One of the most brilliant Bible scholars I ever met taught me at LSU Shreveport. He was amazing. He was amazing. Deep, deep historical understanding of Scripture, but I don't know if he knew Jesus or not. He didn't know anything about my Savior. But he knew a lot about the Bible and taught me a Bible lit class and took me all on this big Bible lit journey. But, man, he didn't know the, the God of that Bible, in my opinion. It didn't seem like he did. And so we need revelation, not just historical data. Does that make sense? And that's biblical. That's biblical. And let me take just a detour. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? I have 12 pages of notes, so listen, I'm prepared. I'm loaded for bear. I, I, I told you, I got two scriptures with notes that are like blowing up in my spirit. I'll get to that, not all of it for sure, but, but here's, here's the deal. There's scripture for revelation. Jesus has been teaching his disciples for quite some time now, they had given up everything, started following him. He's teaching, he's teaching, he's talking, he's teaching, he's teaching. And finally, he looks at them and he says, Who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? Matthew 16. And that's a loaded question. Who do you say, you guys, you 12, who do you say that I, and then he gives this title, the Son of Man, am? Who am I? I am the Son of Man, but who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they rattle off what they had heard. Well, you know, some say and others say. That's data. That's data. Some say you're Elijah, come from the great beyond. Some say that you're this one and that one. And Jesus said, but who do you say I am? Who, who do you? It, it, really, his first question was, who do men say that I am? 
And they prattle off some info. This, they say this, they say that, they say this, they say that. Data. They Googled it, you know. What if, who do people say that he is? Oh, this is what this, this, this and this said. They say this. He said, well, who do you say I am? And Peter stands up and says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and he said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father has. He actually called him Simon Barjona. Your father, that's what Barjona means. Your father, Barjona, son of Jonah or John, not John the Apostle, but he's like, your father has taught you stuff, but this is not one of them. My father has revealed something to you. It was a revelation. That's different from a Google search and just a lecture and data being conveyed. That was the Holy Spirit just opened their hearts to see a truth in their spirit. And he just floated up and he threw it out of his mouth. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said that's a revelation. That's a flow of the Spirit. That came because Jesus was anointed to preach and to teach. He wasn't just lecturing. He was anointed. Everybody say anointed. What we need in this world is anointed preaching and teaching. That's a flow of the Spirit. And I got to say this too, Bethesda, we, I want this at our church. Don't you want that at our church? Like anointed teaching and preaching and a flow of the Spirit. Do you want that? I do. I think you do too. But it's, it's not just on the preacher and the teacher. It's on the body. It's on those hearing. It's on our worship gets involved and connected to it. And, and it's in those supernatural settings where explosive things become possible. Miracles, signs, and wonders become possible in those settings. And we have to, uh, we have to, we have to understand everybody's not going to dig that. They're, they're not wanting that. Everybody doesn't. I would love for them to be in the house, even if they don't want it, because they might get hungry for it. The salt might make them thirsty. You know what I mean? The light might make them see something they didn't see before. But there are some people that God's going to send in this house and it's exactly what they need and what they've been looking for. Especially if their needs are met. They trust in Jesus. They put their faith and their hope in Jesus. They turn to Him. The signs and miracles and wonders of God are flowing in the place. The Holy Spirit moves like a river. Everybody say a river of power. Say a river of revelation. It just kind of all flows together. Jesus taught and preached. Revelation flowed. And signs, miracles, and wonders took place. Luke 4, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach. First thing, anointed me to preach the gospel. And to heal. So there was a revelation anointing, a preaching anointing, and there was just a flow of the Spirit. And everything you see in His ministry came from that. As a matter of fact, when faith was low, you know that Jesus went to His hometown and couldn't do many Signs and wonders, you know, pe people are like, 
that, you know, if, if God flows in your midst and, you know, heal this, you know, you believe God can flow, then here's a need. It's like a challenge, like, heal this, old boy. Do you know that they said that to Jesus? They said, they said you know, physician, heal thyself. Like, they, they made fun of the power that flowed in Jesus' ministry and antagonized him. And a lot of people, there were people that didn't receive because their faith wasn't engaged. Are you with me? Because now I'm going to rattle him. This is dangerous. I told you this was dangerous. But there were people, Mark chapter 6, he went to his hometown of Nazareth, and, and he, the Bible says he could not do many mighty works there, save he healed a few sick folk. One translation says, of a few minor ailments. He could not. This is Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. And Jesus could not. Not he would not. He would have. He was anointed to. But he could not. And, and the reason why is because they didn't believe that he was who he said he was. They saw him as simply, because it was his hometown, Mary and Joseph's boy. Let me show, let me, let me go there. I, I, I'm going to try to get to John. Um, John chapter 6. Look at this. It said <clears throat> uh, in verse 1, And he went out from hence, from thence, not hence, thence. He, I'm in the King James. He went out from thence and came into his own country, and his, dis, and, and his disciples uh, fallen. Uh, follow him. And, and he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter? That's really a, probably a stonemason. The son of Mary, the brother of James and Joses and Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. You see that? He couldn't do a lot there because they didn't believe. They didn't believe the word. He was anointed to preach, but his anointing to preach couldn't overcome their doubt and unbelief. Could not. And apparently it took their connection through faith for the miracles to flow, and they didn't flow. And he's marveling at this. This is crazy. Wow. And notice, here's the solution. And he went round about the villages teaching. So his solution was, well, I'm just going to keep preaching and teaching. Some of you are going to get it. It may take you a while, but I'm just going to keep hammering at it that, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel. I am He. I've been sent of the Father. I'm on a mission. I'm here to rescue and redeem and restore and heal. He's just preaching the message over and over and over, and some of them eventually got it. So the key to unbelief and doubt is just keep plugging away, as my grandma would say. Just keep plugging away. And, and the Spirit of God is supposed to flow like a river. Look with me to John chapter 7. That was my introduction. John chapter 7. 
I've been going 18 minutes. That's crazy. I told those boys, they're like, listen, now you got about 18, 20 minutes, you know, and, and uh, I've done going 18 minutes in my introduction. So, so Thomas just got finished, and now Jason has come on the scene, right? So good to be with all of you tonight. Look with me to John chapter 7. And uh, let's go to... Uh, Uh, verse, am I in the right book? Wow, that's crazy. Oh, <laughs> oh right, that's true, I saw it, I saw it, that's hilarious. I lost my verse, but it says this, that's funny, I get it, I'm doing the same thing, see? Apple, tree, you know how that goes. So uh, Jesus it, it, it stands up uh, on, on, on the feast day. And where, where is it? Where's my verse? The great day of the feast. Here we go. I got it. Look at verse 32. The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while am I with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. You shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am thither you cannot come. Then said the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go, that we shall not find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? These are sarcastic remarks. What manner of saying is this that he said, Ye shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am thither you cannot come? In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, now this is a feast where they would pour water uh, as an offering every day. It's the Feast of Tabernacles or booths, and they're celebrating the time that God sustained them in the wilderness. And they were thirsty, and they would pour out this water. And so on the last day, which is technically the eighth day, which is technically not part of the feast, but most commentators will say that on the last day, speaking of the eighth day, that they didn't pour out water, and it was symbolic of, of them being in the wilderness all that time. And so it says, if you think about it, now they're kind of like, if that's true, it's the day when the water is not being poured out. They are in the wilderness. They've come out of their booths, but they are still, you know, in the spirit of the thing, in the wilderness, reflecting on what God did for them in those wilderness wanderings. And so when they have no water, Jesus stands up and cries, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. So that's the idea. I'm the water of life. They drank from a rock that followed them. That just weirds me out. You go look it up. But a rock followed them. And Paul would say that rock was Christ. So you have this rock following them. I just it blows my mind, you know, like they look over their shoulder and there's the rock. It's just there. And so they're like, well, let's go. So they start moving. The rock's like, Whoo. they stop. They look back. That rock's, I, I'm telling you, that rock's following us. Nah, you're just imagining things. Let's go. So they keep walking. The rock, Whoo. you know, that's just the way it strikes me funny, you know. But the rock, follow, and, and the rock, out of the rock came enough water 
to satisfy the thirst of millions of people. That's not just a trickle. That's not a straw. It's not like there were a million straws in the rock. That water flowed. That was a powerful flow. And Jesus said, in the last day, the great day of the feast, he stands up and he says, if any man's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Then notice this. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly or out of his spirit shall flow rivers of living water. Rivers flowing out of believers on Jesus. But this spake he of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. It's powerful. The Spirit was supposed to flow through the believers after the death, burial, resurrection, glorification of Jesus. The Holy Spirit would be poured out in such a way that it was dynamic and there was this river of life flowing. That's how it should be in the church. How does that translate into our everyday life? Listen, folks, I live in the world just like you. I mean, I'm flesh and blood. I deal with discouragement. I deal with real life issues. I work a job or two outside of church. Been bivocational pastor for my whole daggone ministry, right? But th- and thank God for it. Uh, it's keep kept me connected, and I, I'm just telling you, I, I live in the same world that you live in. And so, what's that look like? It's not like I got a river flowing out of my mouth all the time. Are you with me? Good grief. But it's not like I'm just, you know, bubbling all the time. We used to sing that song in Sunday school. It's bubbling. It's bubbling. It's bubbling in my soul. It's better with a lisp. But I'm not always bubbling. So what's that look like? We're a paraclete community, a life-giving community. And part of that comes from my connection to you. If you live in isolation, if you don't connect with other believers, your flow is very limited. Your impact is very limited. You have very little coming into you. I mean, you can pray in tongues all you want, but if you're not connected with other believers, that the body's held together by that which each joint supplies. This is what Paul said concerning the body of Christ. There is a life that flows in this body, and then from this body flows out. It's just, it's just together collectively as we go throughout our lives, go throughout our day, there's a word of encouragement that can come from your lips to somebody else. There, there's just a, a, an insight, a little bit of wisdom. There might be a divine invitation. I would like to invite you to my church. And that was a river flowing through you. Just, just a little piece of the river flowing through you to somebody else. Are you with me? Just a life-giving. We're, the Holy Spirit's a paraclete. We're a paraclete community. Parasite's the opposite. We're life-giving we're, we're not life-taking. We're a life-giving community. So it's just a matter of, of flowing, and together we can collectively impact our world. It said, this spake he of the Holy Ghost, which they should receive. First of all, every believer should receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. And it is a, it's a doctrine of devils that says that that's not for today. It is for today. There's no verse that says 
And then it stopped. You know, there's a theology that says that the Holy Spirit, baptism, speaking in tongues, ceased. These people are called cessationists. It ceased. When the word was canonized, when the Bible was completed, there was no need for demonstration, signs, miracles, wonders, all that stuff. I've always gone back. My, my argument is this. Like, so there's a guy that was the last guy to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. River of life flowing through you, this dynamic charisma, the, the charismatic gifts flowing. This one guy, he's the last guy or she's the last gal to receive the Holy Ghost baptism. And she's like, wow, that was amazing. Wow, the, the Holy Ghost flowing through me, the power of God, the, the gifts flowing through me, and, and they're witnessing to somebody, and they're like, I want that. And they're like, well, you can't have that, but you can have this. Good luck. You're going to need a lexicon. You're going to need a concordance. You're going to need somebody to help you with the Greek and the Hebrew. But there you go. There you go. There's, there's your equivalent. Now, I'm not downplaying the word. Don't understand. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not downplaying the word at all. But, but Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's the word made flesh to preach and to teach and to heal and to flow. There should be a flow in the body of Christ today like there was a flow in the body of Christ back then. You teach, you preach the word. There's revelation that comes and pops. It's not just lecture, but it's revelation flowing through the anointing to preach and teach. And then faith flows. Faith comes by hearing the word. And people are able to receive. And everybody won't. Because they won't believe in you and, and what you're saying. But some will. And in the New Testament, man, 3,000 were converted on the first day. 5,000 just a little bit after that. There was persecution. That tells me a lot of people didn't believe, Joel. There were, I mean, severe persecution. They killed some of these guys. But they kept preaching and teaching the word. And it exploded and it, they turn the world upside down. So out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. This spake of the Holy Ghost, which was not yet given. Believers should receive, but the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So that's, that's one aspect of what I want to share. And there's some powerful stuff. If you take chapter eight, uh, chapter 7, all the way down to 53. I'll give it to you in a nutshell. He offended a bunch of people because anointed preaching and teaching, flowing of the Spirit offends a ton of people, religious people. Oh, that's good. Offends religious people. Because they think, they literally told Jesus, you didn't go to Bible school. You didn't go to Shiva. You, you didn't go, you didn't go, and get a formal education with a reputable rabbi. <laughs> this is Jesus, right? And they're like, he's not educated. So how does he know so much scripture? He's not versed in the letters. How does he know so much scripture? But obviously, he doesn't know what he's talking about. They started cutting him down. And then finally, Nicodemus says... Did I say Nicodemus? Yes, Nicodemus, the Nicodemus, pipes in, and he said, uh, listen, uh, does anybody judge a book, you know, before you've read it? Like, we're jumping to conclusions here. Let's see the conclusion of the matter. He's defending Jesus to the religious folk. He's a religious dude defending Jesus because he's, he's open. 
and he's hungry. He's the same guy that came to Jesus by night. And he comes to him, uh, and, and they look at, he tells them that, and they look at him and they said, Oh, you must have come from Galilee also. Because uh, search and look, there's never been a prophet that's come from Galilee. So the religious experts who did go to Bible school and seminary and went and followed all the, the great rabbis of the day, they said, search the scriptures. There's no, no prophet ever came from Galilee. So Nicodemus, what's the matter? You, you doofus, you know, did you forget your history? There's no prophet that's come from Galilee. You must be from Galilee to your prejudice towards Galilee. And they're really making fun because religious people hated Galileans. Hated them. That's why in Acts chapter 2 they said, who are these Galileans speaking our language? These goobers, you know, like they're, they're just dumb. It was a cut down. But what they didn't understand. What they didn't understand was that, yeah, Jonah, the prophet, came from Galilee. And actually, there's probably two other prophets that came from Galilee as well. What I'm saying is religious people always don't know what they're talking about. They talk a big game. They talk with authority. They have letters behind their name. But it doesn't mean jack squat when it comes to the, the Scripture for real. Does that make sense? And so... So they're cutting old Nicodemus down, and Jesus is like, probably eye rolled, probably sent a text and eye rolled to his buddies. And then John chapter 8 is where we're going. And I'm going to conclude with this. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning, so from this place, he went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning, he then came again into the temple, early in the morning. And everybody wanted to hear what he had to say, or a lot of people did. Hungry people will do whatever to get some word and to get into the flow of the Spirit. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. Notice that he sits and he teaches. He wasn't standing like I am right now. He sat down. Had a guy one time criticize me for sitting in a stool while I taught in in this church. And uh, I'm like, obviously, you've never read John chapter 8. Our great Lord and Savior Jesus Christ sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. Taken in the act of adultery it would go on to say when they had set her in the midst they said unto him master this woman was taken in adultery in the very act now Moses in the law commanded that such should be stoned but what sayest thou and this is interesting that such should be stoned if you go back and look that up you've got Leviticus and you've also got Numbers uh, such would be uh, the adulterer. It literally says this, and the adulteress. They only brought the adulteress. They let the old boy go. I mean, they're caught in the act, right? I mean, they could have got the old boy. They let the old boy go. They grab her because they didn't care anything about her. Look at verse 6. This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. So this was a test because if he answered this the wrong way, they could accuse him of sedition to the Romans because 
it was against the law for them to carry out capital punishment without permission, without Roman permission. So if he said, you should kill her as the law says, then they could have gone to Rome and said, this guy is guilty of insurrection and sedition and could have gotten him in trouble with Rome. But Jesus stooped down, and in John chapter 7, they're already trying to kill him. They really have been trying to kill him since he healed the man in John chapter 5. And Jesus would pass. It wasn't his time yet. So they were trying to get him killed. Jesus stoops down, begins to write in the, the sand, on the, the dust on the floor of the, the temple complex there, as though he heard them not. So he's ignoring them. And when they continued asking him, he lifted himself up and said to them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, let me just say a couple things here that he's sitting down teaching. So he's teaching. They bring a woman caught in the act of adultery, interrupt his whole flow, and they're like, hey, we caught her. She's a really, really bad sinner. So he's in the flow, anointing, revelation, teaching. He's healed. He's going to heal again. He's in the flow. They bring him this woman, and he's sitting down. The Bible says she stands there. So they, these mean religious dudes, they have her standing, <coughs> probably wrapped in a you know, sheet or something. Like It's a mess. <coughs> and so they're, they're accusing her, and she's standing, he's sitting. And, and so then uh, they, they throw the accusation out, and Jesus, uh, it, it says that, uh, that uh, you know, the law says this, et cetera, et cetera. And so he lifted himself up. So he gets up finally. He's ignored them, gets up. Now the whole crowd, there's a whole bunch of, the temple complex could seat 100,000 people. There's a whole bunch of people in there. And he stands up. So now the whole crowd sees him. He sat down to teach. Now he stands up. They see this woman. He stands up. He said, okay. The book of Deuteronomy says, and he doesn't say that, but that's what he's quoting. Let the witnesses throw the first stones. So you, adds this caveat, who are without sin, you throw the first stone. And then he goes back down. It's really a mic drop. And the Bible said that they were convicted, their consciences convicted them from the eldest to the youngest. And one by one, they put their rock down and they walked away. Now, the truth of the matter is, this was probably a setup. This was probably a regular. They probably knew what was going on with this woman and this man. Some of them may have even been involved in it. Uh, like, this was a messy situation. Jesus calls them out on it. And the bottom line is, then he talks to the woman. When everybody walked away, she, he, he, he stoops back down and he says to her, She's collapsed. Hey, where are your accusers? She's probably tucked her head in shame. Stand with me right now. And he says, she says, they're gone. And then Jesus, the powerful, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to heal, to preach, to teach, to heal the broken hearted. To bind up those that are wounded and bruised. I mean, the only one without sin in his life who could have thrown a stone looks at her. 
and the river of life flowed out of him again. And he said, honey, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So what does a life-giving community look like? Do you know that Augustine and Ambrose and some of the church fathers in the way back in the day, not from the manuscripts in the Greek, but because of his saying, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. They said this doesn't belong in the Bible. Augustine, Ambrose, these are heavy hitters. They said this doesn't belong in the Bible because he said, neither do I condemn you. They believed that he should have condemned her, I guess. But he said, neither do I condemn you. They didn't condemn you because they had sin in their lives. They knew it, and I called them out on it. And they were convicted in their hearts. They knew it, probably thinking I had the goods on them. That's why they left. But I've stayed. But I want you to know, I don't condemn you either. That's what grace looks like. I call it the ace of grace. He had a card up his sleeve. Honey, here's your get out of jail card. Here's the ace of grace. You got a great ace of grace? Yeah, I preached a message, printed up all these aces of graces back in the day. The, the thing is, he, had, he, he, he brought life to a dead situation. You bring life, right? He brings life. We're a life-giving community. I'm telling you, church, the body of Christ in the 21st century should move like the body of Christ in A.D. My Bible said A.D. 32. We should move in that same flow. Where the power of God is flowing. But it is so rich. It's not to bash people over the head and slam them because of their stupidity. It's to love them like Jesus loved them. Neither do I condemn you. Hey, you need to go and sin no more. But you hear what we're saying. You're welcome in this house. You're welcome in this place. It's a safe house. It's a safe place. It's a safe body. We're comfortable in our own skin and in the grace of God and the blood of the Lamb to deal with you and your issues and me and my issues. And if we'll just put Him first, we'll all grow into the image of the Son of the living God.